Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. For those of you who have had children, um, men, uh, dads, husbands, how many of you were, you know, like in the room when, when your kids were born? Lots of you. Okay, lots of you. Um, how many of you went to the doctor's appointments with your wives, like not when, when your child was born, but, but the checkup appointments? How many of you went with, with them? Okay. I did the first, our first child. Um, but from then on, I wasn't allowed to, um, because because the the first time that we went to the doctor that we went we went you know to the appointment, and uh, we went in and you know we're waiting in the, in in the in the office and then and then we're called in and you know we're in the waiting room for a while but then we're called into the to the to the to, you know the the inner room and and uh, there's just so many things that I'm so curious about in a in a in a medical office, you know and and there's you're left unattended right, and so. And so, like, I mean, I think I can use the ear thing, right? I mean, I can, I can, I, like, I don't get to do that. I don't have that equipment at home. And, and there's so many things that you can play with and, and kind of familiarize yourself with. Because what if there's ever a need that I would need to be, like, that there's no other option but me to, like, do some medical response? I want to be familiar with the equipment. And so Sherry, meanwhile, is, you know, kind of sitting there in the chair. She's saying, put that down. And I think she was just practicing for when we did have a child so that she could, you know, know kind of what it's like. But, but from then on, Sherry was kind, of, I was kind of like, hey, you want me to go with you, to the appointment with you? She's like, no, I really don't. Um, not unless you cannot touch things. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. Um, I, I have to. And, and it's just so interesting that, you know, you know, there's, you know, kind of, and, and it was kind of practiced before we had our kids. And, and um, you know, it's, it's interesting because leading into that, there's, you know, you're in a waiting room, and there's all kinds of waiting rooms, uh, everywhere you go, there's a waiting room, and you know if you ha- have your car worked on, there's a waiting room, and if you know you go to the ho- you know the doctor's office, there's a waiting room. Uh, everywhere you go, there's there's a room that's that's designated that we wait in, that we that we we kind of hang out in, and sometimes those rooms are enjoyable to be in. Uh, you know, I think it years ago it seemed like waiting rooms were about as basic as they could possibly be, but now today there's like you know a Keurig in the corner, there's TVs, there's magazines. It's almost like the waiting room is better than where you're actually waiting to go to. And, and, and it's just all of this stuff. You know, sometimes there's couches and all that kind of stuff, and it's, it's super comfortable. And, and this morning, as we finish off our study of Second Peter, I think what he does is, is he kind of helps us realize and reminds us that we, in this life that we're in, the life that we're living right now, the experience that we have is basically in a waiting room. But it's not unimportant, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on. There's a lot of development in the waiting room. And so in, 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 in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this in verses 11 and 12. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, referring back to what he just said about how when the Lord comes, he will come like a thief in everything Will be, will be, it will pass away with a roar, and that, 
that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And he says, so since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting while you're in this waiting room for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, be melt, will melt as they burn. And, and so it's interesting that, that as, as Peter, he has this vision, this picture of, of what this life looks like, that we essentially are in this waiting room awaiting the return of Jesus Christ where he will make all things right. And, and, and while we're waiting, he asks the questions, what sort of people ought you to be in the waiting room? Like when we were, when we were in the waiting room and then we were in the, in, the, in the doctor's office, Sherry kind of figured out that, that the type of person that I was, that I was, that I was in that moment. And that wasn't super exciting to be with me because at that point the doctor walks in and he says, please put that down. That's not for you to touch. But you see, Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be while you are waiting? What are you developing into? Who are you? And so even in waiting rooms, we develop and we display who we are. And Peter asks us at the end of his letter what kind of people we are while we await the coming of Jesus and the day of the Lord. See, in Peter's mind and in his theology, the day of the Lord, consisting of, of both judgment and salvation, was bedrock reality. That's what he lived and breathed, was the day of the Lord. That was the thing that was most on his mind. And it's so interesting because there's so many things that can be at the forefront of our minds in life. We can be thinking about what we're doing tomorrow or something that's coming up that's a big deal or what we want uh, to eventually achieve in life. But for Peter, the, the thing that he was focused on was the imminent coming of the Lord, that he was coming back. And that the most important thing that, that he calls the people he's writing to to focus on is what kind of people they're going to be what kind of people they're becoming, which is the theme of the Bible, is who are you becoming like? And so, of course, if you have your Bibles, we're in, 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 in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 11. And, and, and so here's the reality of what we just read. He says, he says as he's building into this, he says, he says that, that all that's going to remain is what you do. All that's going to remain, everything else is going to be burned up and, and, and redone. And, and he says, what's going to last is what I do, my thoughts, my words, my actions, those will survive and last through judgment all the way to eternity. So what I do, what I say, what I'm characterized by, who I am will last. That will not be destroyed. That will last. That will go all the way through. And so what kind of person should I be? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person does God call me to be? And, and, so, and so we see, as, as Peter talks through this, he says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He says, waiting for this coming day of the Lord, which will bring judgment and the, 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 complete, the completion of salvation. And he says, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will be melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Because see, in the current heaven and earth, it is not characterized by righteousness. 
that kind of went off track for us at the very beginning. But it's not off track for God because God has a way to redeem and restore. And, and so he says, so Peter reminds us, he says, look, this is all, all going to change. And you are in this waiting room. And so as you're waiting, what's important and what actually lasts is who you are and the way you talk to people, the way you've treated people, the, the thoughts that you've thought, the actions that have come from you. That's what lasts. And, and, and there's a particular context that gives those things value because there's so many things that we can do and we can say and we can be a part of that don't actually matter, that don't, don't last. Now, they may matter for us like in the moment and they may affect us, but just because something affects us doesn't mean it's important. See, I think we make a mistake and, and we start to think that things that affect us more are more important, but actually that's not true. It's just we feel those things and we have, we have a response we, because we are who we are and the things that affect us most, we feel like those are most important, but they actually aren't. And that's, that's, not, that's not how Jesus sees things. And, and so he goes on, and, and so he says, he says, look, this is, this is what we need to understand. And, and there's going to be this demolition and restoration. Like God's going to take over HGTV when he comes back. And so, I mean, it's going to just be this huge demo and, and restoration project that he's doing and um, it's great because he won't go over budget because he has all the budget in the world. And so he's like, uh, you know, if, if you have like a business that does renovations, like he's your dream client. <laughs> and, and so he's going to do all of that stuff. And so it's interesting because, because what this tells us is that the current state of the world as we know it is on a course of deterioration and destruction, both materially and morally. That while that's hard to see our world around us crumbling and feeling like, man, we're losing ground because, because the world around us is becoming more and more morally bankrupt, God has already told us that's going to happen because that is the world in which we live. But God's going to interrupt that world as he has in the past. But, but in the past, he interrupted it with Jesus who brought brought the revelation of salvation, the next time he interrupts the world, it will be with a message of reward and judgment. And so here's, here's what's interesting, is that then Jesus' followers in this world, in this waiting room, if you look at your experience and the world around you, it is this huge waiting room. While we're in the waiting room, Jesus' followers are actually the only source of light in this darkness. Jesus' followers are the only source of light in this darkness. It's interesting. A few weeks ago when, when the uh, creek fire started and just kind of blew up and it trapped uh, 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 over 200 people, that there was fire on all sides. There was Cal Fire crews there fighting the fire. In fact, they were trapped as well. And, and so there's, there's an incredible story of, of, of two air crews and they were flying a Black Hawk and a Chinook, and they flew at night. They were, they were the California National Guard aviators, and they, they came in at night with, with, this, with night observation devices, and they came through high winds because of the, 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 the climate and the fire and burning embers that were flying everywhere, heavy smoke, 
difficult terrain to rescue 200 plus people who were completely cut off and trapped by the fire. There was Cal Fire crews there which were fighting a losing battle. And, and some of the stories from people that, that talk about being there is that they were being told that find water, just go in the water. And that's really the only way that you're going to survive because there's no way that we're going to be rescued. And as these, these helicopters were coming in, Cal Fire was waving them off saying, it's too dangerous as they were stuck and they were kind of sealing their own fate, saying it's too dangerous, just go. They were trying to wave the helicopters off. But these individuals were focused on rescue. So they came in, landed. And I don't know if you've seen or read the stories or seen the pictures of what they flew into and that they saved those people and they brought them out. See, it didn't matter to those guardsmen political agendas. It didn't matter the arguments that are going on around. It didn't matter what they could or couldn't do. What they were focused on was this group of people that they were going to rescue, even if it cost them their own life. And you see, that is the spiritual reality that we live in every day as those who have been rescued and have been restored by Jesus. The reality for us is that this world is on fire. Don't get distracted by all of the debates and all of the agendas, because here's the thing. Those debates and agendas will go on and they'll continue to destroy the world around us. But our job is to fly in at great peril to ourselves and bring the message of Jesus to those who are trapped by a burning world. You see, our responsibility is that while we wait for what will undeniably happen, we, are, we have a job. We're not just sitting on a couch in a waiting room. We are active because, see, there are other people who desperately need to hear about Jesus. And you need to understand that Jesus can change them. He can forgive them. He can bring them to a place that they never imagined they could get to. John Maxwell says this, and, and, and it seems like he could have said this this week, but he said it quite a while ago. He said, God prepares leaders in a slow cooker, not a, mi a microwave oven. More important than the awaited goal is the work God does in us while we wait. Waiting deepens and matures us. It levels our perspective and broadens our understanding. Tests of time determine whether we can endure seasons of seemingly unfruitful preparations and indicate whether we can recognize and seize the opportunities that God brings our way. I think it's so interesting that, that, that this whole time of the stuff that's going on around us with not just the pandemic and not just the political stuff and not just the unrest and not just the injustice, not just the lawlessness, all of that stuff. We're, we're so impacted by all that. So we think all of that's really important. 
But I think in a lot of ways, the church has missed what really is important because of all these things are so impacting to us. What's really important is the people around us who need to hear that Jesus can make things right. That Jesus can actually give them a hope and a future. You see, Peter not only encourages us to consider what kind of people we ought to be in lives of, and, and of holiness and godliness. But then he says, okay, here's what you need to focus on. Here's what you need to think about. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, in other words, while you're waiting for Jesus, as you're in this waiting room, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of the, our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And, and so he says this. He says, look, we need to be diligently found without spot or blemish and at peace. That's what we should be working on right now. We should be diligently working, working hard making it our goal, making it really important, even though we feel like, well, is that really as important as everything else that's going on? It is, he says, diligently work. Work hard, intense desire. That's my part, to, to, to have no spot or blemish. And he says, to be found without spot or blemish. That's God's part because God makes us righteous. But there's a, there's a two part of that. God makes us righteous, but then we work we work to, to, to flesh that out. It's the idea that God, the Holy Spirit, develops fruit inside of us, and our job then is to display that fruit. It's our job to bring that fruit that's on the inside to be seen by people on the outside. That's the same thing with this. And so, and so what he's saying is that you are called to diligently work, to be pure, that you can't be blamed for anything, that you are deeply pursuing a godly life that will be perfected in the last day. That's what being without spot or blemish is not being actually perfect right now in the waiting room, but working toward that to grasp what God has already done in us. We're not making ourselves into something. We are displaying who God has already made us to be. And then he says, without spot or blemish. And then he says, also at peace. Again, diligently, with, with, with all of your, your, your power and pursuit, to be found at peace. God has already established peace between us and him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God has made peace with us. It is our job to prioritize peace with one another. You see, a person who follows Jesus should never be described as someone who is who's anxious and, and like always ready to blow and all of those things. The, the characteristic of a person who follows Jesus is peace. And that is really hard to get to. None of us can, can, can consistently be described that way. But God does a work of peace in us, and then he says, hold on to that and pursue it and be diligent to work at that. And we all have our challenges and struggles. But see, we're all in the same boat of working to be characterized by peace that God gives us. Peace is that harmony in our relationships, freedom from disputes, and freedom from worry. You see, peace is the opposite. 
peace is, peace is the, the opposite end of the spectrum of being worried and angered and, and all hyped up. It's, it's this place of recognizing that there is something absolute that we can have confidence in. So the question I think we have to answer for ourselves is, 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 is I, as we look at our own lives, am I a person who is free from things that can be held against me? Even when I mean well, am I, am I free from things that people can hold against me? And, and would other people characterize their interaction with me as peace, as peaceful? And remember that peace is not weakness. There is an incredible confidence if you have real peace, because you can't get tipped over by the stuff that goes on around you. You are not controlled by your environment or the decisions of other people. You see, this is how I work on me in the waiting room. I look to be diligent and work so that I can be without spot or blemish. And I, I'm diligent and I work to be at peace, even though everything's vying to, to, to tip me over and upset me. Unfortunately, one of the things that we are really good at is we're really good at looking at the other people in the waiting room and saying what they need to do. <laughs> isn't that interesting? If, if, you know, if you've ever been in a waiting room, some good people watching, isn't there? Some pretty good people watching. And, 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 and our focus goes to those people, not necessarily to make their lives better, but we go through all kinds of thoughts of those people in the waiting room with us. And, and, and what Peter's saying is that, no, no, what you need to work on and be diligent about in the waiting room is to make sure that you can be without spot or blemish and that you are at peace. Because you see, when you're in the waiting room, there's a lot of people who aren't at peace. And because Jesus lives inside of us, because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, then that means we can have peace and we can pass that peace along to those people who are waiting with us. Look at verse 15. It says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. This is so significant. And, and I love, Travis read the passage in Luke that Jesus quoted Isaiah as we were kind of preparing for worship. And, and the idea that Jesus goes and he takes the scroll from Isaiah and he reads it and he stops when he says salvation has come and he says today in your hearing this has been fulfilled and he doesn't go on to the judgment part you know why because the judgment part is not yet we are not yet to the judgment part because god's patience is so powerful his love for us is so intense that god patiently waits for every person to have an opportunity to come to him because we are living in the era of salvation. That is what defines human history right now, is we are living in the age of salvation. That is what defines our time. You see, all throughout human history, we've, been, we've come up with different ways of describing, describing that, that time or era or age that we're living in. And you go back, and, and, and there was the, the Stone Age, and there was the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age, and, and they're all kind of descriptive of what was going on during those times. There was the Classical Age. Then there was the Middle Ages. And then there was the Age of Discovery, the Renaissance, Enlightenment, Industrial Revolution, 
the Cold War, which we all know was ultimately settled in Moscow by Rocky. <laughs> One of the greatest moments for our country. <laughs> that happened. That was a documentary, if you didn't know. <laughs> it's true. I speak truth. <laughs> you can ignore that. Um, we live in what they call the information age today. And now in this, this sliver of time that we inhabit, it's kind of the age of, of COVID-19. But here's the thing. As I said, all of those things are descriptive terms that help us understand the activity during those time periods. What they fail to do is to characterize the nature of what's really going on. They fail to characterize the nature of what was going on. Because during all these things, during all these eras and ages, we are living in the age of salvation. Human history by nature is a spiritual reality and we are in and have been in this age of salvation. What Jesus did on the cross and ushered in an age that will last until his return and it even reached back. Jesus' death on the cross went forward and backwards and made this the time that humanity lives and inhabits on this planet is the age of salvation. And it will last until his return, which changes to the day of judgment. And so those who have been forgiven have received God's forgiveness and his salvation. They end up getting their reward, and those who haven't face judgment. And while we may see various activity, good and bad, the reality of our lives is that we inhabit an unprecedented time of hopefulness, even today, because of the rescue, forgiveness, righteousness, and restoration brought by the blood of Jesus. Have we been living like that? Do you recognize that you live in the age of salvation? That no matter how bad or dark the world gets around us, that we have more hope, more, more peace, because we live in the age of salvation that God patiently waits for every person to respond to him. See, this explains why God is so patient, because we're living in the age of salvation. That's what we're living in today. We are called to count God's patience as merciful and the pain or unpleasantness we endure is because salvation is the focus of our time. Rescued and preserved in the midst of utter destruction until the last day. You see, that's what God does. He rescues and preserves us until the last day. That no matter what happens around us can't change what God is doing. Now here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that we, we kind of have to, have to recognize is that this is hard. <laughs> this isn't easy. This isn't a walk in the park. Listen to what he goes on and he says, he says, and count the patience of our Lord of salvation just as our beloved Paul, brother Paul also wrote you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now listen to this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. They're hard to grasp because, again, what seems important to us are the things that most affect us. 
And Paul and Peter and, and the writers of the New Testament and what God communicates to us is hard to understand because sometimes we don't feel the immediate impact. Like how many of you are impacted by the return of Jesus? <laughs> how many of you feel that every day? We don't feel that. We don't have experiences of that because that just seems like, I mean, it's close and it's far. It's, it's whatever it is. What we feel is what happened today. And so it's hard to understand how to have a perspective like this. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. As they do the other scriptures, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away. He says that these things are hard to understand. And, and he says, he says that this idea of holiness and patience is difficult to wrap our heads around. Why? It's because of our nature of rebellion and self-reliance and thinking too highly of our own opinions and ideas. All of those things get in the way of us understanding what God wants from us. All those things distract us. And he says, there are those, and there's kind of two categories of these. He says, there are those who are ignorant and unstable who prey on others. There are those who are ignorant and unstable who prey on others. And then there's also those who are ignorant and unstable who are being preyed upon by others. Those are the two categories outside of Christ that, we, that, that exist. If you haven't, haven't been, been forgiven and redeemed by Jesus Christ, then you're in one of two categories. You're living in instability and you're, and you're living in, in ignorance either preying on other people, capitalizing on, on that in other people, or you're being preyed on. That's the reality of everyone outside of Christ. And, and all of those people, whether they recognize it or not, whether they, 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 they say they're mean to or not, they're twisting or getting things twisted, distorted, they're being misled, they're deceived, spiritually ending up in destruction. That's what's happening. And, and so Peter says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't make things that are unimportant important and things that are important unimportant. He says, he says, don't get carried away. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. See, we've been given the information beforehand. We know how this goes. We know where this goes. And he says, so knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Don't get carried away with what's going on and lose your stability that is yours in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens, don't lose your stability. Don't trade that in for the cares and the worries of the world which is on a collision course. And, and so he says, he says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And that's how he, where he goes. That's where he goes with it. And so here's the thing. The question is, what is my stability? And in this world, again, the things that 
affect us most seem the most important. So our stability seems like the things that are important. So is it acceptance? Is it being accepted? For so many people, their stability is acceptance. For so many people, stability is, is wealth. Stability for so many people is happiness, health, freedom, a government I can agree with. That is our stability because see, when those things start to fade or disappear, you see someone become very unstable. Our stability is from surrendering and knowing and acting like Jesus because he is a sure thing. And we've already known beforehand that he's going to return and reward those who have responded in the age of salvation and he will judge those who have not. And he says, here's how you grow in stability. You need to pursue that growth in stability. And he says, you grow in grace and in knowledge, or in grace and in truth. You see, in grace, he calls us to grow in, in sharing God's goodwill with those around us, in kindness, in gratitude, in mercy, in unmerited favor. And in truth, what can be known from what God has revealed? What is absolute? What is true? What God has revealed in his word? And here's the thing. He, call, he says, to, in order to be stable, we must be growing in grace and truth at the same time. Grace and truth must hold hands. Neither can rise above the other. There's never a point where you can say, well, truth is more important right now. Or grace is more important right now. God calls us, which this is one of the hard things that Peter references, it is hard to live a life in balance with grace and truth. Because you see, if, if grace without truth actually ends up deceiving people. Grace without truth is deceptive. It degenerates into deceitful tolerance. But on the other hand, truth without grace is brutality. And here's the thing, the very point of, of telling people the truth is, is that you want them to have an opportunity to believe the truth, right? But when we, when we focus on truth without grace, it gives information, but in a way that people cannot hear it. And so if truth uttered without grace, people can't hear it, then what's the point of even speaking truth? We get so caught up in, but I said the truth. I told them, yeah, they didn't hear you <laughs> because you are living out of balance. You're not actually growing in stability because if you're not growing in grace and truth equally, you are not stable. And so be careful. And so he goes on and, and he just, he finishes off and he says, he says, here's the thing. Our lives are to bring God glory, both now in the waiting room and when we see him face to face. We bring God glory. And so as Peter finishes off this letter that he wrote to a group of believers, what does that mean for us? What now? What about us? What do we do with this? Well, we're in the waiting room. And right now, there's a lot of things going on in the waiting room. <laughs> We're in the midst of a global pandemic. Some feel more serious than others. We're in the midst of this waiting room where there is incredible lawlessness and injustice. 
And those who have authority to speak to that lawlessness and injustice are making all the wrong decisions. We, we live in a time where there's power-hungry leaders not bringing solutions, but jockeying for more power and more influence. And lately, as we look around in our context, our immediate context, loss of property and life, and for some, the ability to breathe outside. So that's what defines our waiting room right now. That's, that's what tells us what's going on. But it does not describe the nature of where we live right now. Because in spite of all those things, we are living in the age of salvation. That's what we're living in. I mean, we might be living in a land of confusion, according to Phil Collins, but we're living in the age of salvation. And so the reality is that, that we have to ask, okay, what kind of people are we to be then? What has the church done? And, and unfortunately, some of the things that, that we see going on is that the American church has been arguing and positioning. Arguing and positioning on safety versus freedom, political theory, and whatever else is the flavor of the week. There's always something to argue about. And here, in the moment, in the age of salvation, where the church is the only light in the darkness... So many people who are called Christ followers are arguing positioning and, and parting ways, which is an offense to Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. If Jesus can raise from the dead, why can't we set our opinions aside and say, you know what? I've got to walk in humility, grace, and truth. And even though I vehemently disagree with what you're saying we're going to stand together because Jesus is bigger than our disagreements. That's what Jesus is calling every one of us to. To borrow a, a motto from, from an institution, Jesus never taught us to strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Jesus taught us to love God, love others, and love mercy. You see, if my, my safety or my freedom is more important than unity within the church or the self-sacrificial rescue of the lost, then I am guilty of dismissing the power that God has given his church. And so what does that mean? It means this, that Jesus is coming. That's a fact. Jesus is coming back for his church and he will end this age of salvation, which should be something that gives us urgency because there's going to come a point that no one else can come to Jesus for forgiveness. And so we, we anticipate the return of Christ, but we should also be very sober about it. Because when Jesus returns, that means that the person who you were hoping would find Jesus they no longer have an opportunity. I anticipate and can't wait for the return of Christ, but I also feel that that is terrifying because there's people that I know who haven't responded to the salvation of Jesus yet. And so maybe we should be willing to, to, to suffer a little bit longer in order that they may have a, a greater opportunity.
And, and so, so the reality is, 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 are we living in a way that we can't be blamed from without spot or blemish? Are we at peace? Are we processing events and people through a lens of, of salvation? Have I, have, I, have I lost my stability? Am I growing in grace and truth equally? As I was working through this stuff, as my nature, just want to let you know, has a propensity towards anger. And it's something that I've wrestled with my whole life. Sherry says that I'm getting better, but I still have a ways to go. That's not what she's, well, she probably does believe that because <laughs> it's true. But I have a bent towards anger. When things don't work out the way they should, when things aren't going the way that I want them to, I don't get sad and cry about it. I get angry. And it's really easy for me to lose my stability right now because of what's going on around us. Because of the events and the people and all of this stuff. And I don't know if you're there, but but at least from seeing other people, it seems like there's a lot of people there. I think it's time to look inward and allow the Holy Spirit to convict and correct whatever is off inside you and inside me with whatever method he sees fit. And I can't help but wonder that, the, the, that what we live in today What's going on today is God's tool to loosen our grip on our idols. I wonder if the exit from this current environment that we're in won't happen until God's people recognize the idolatry in their lives. And that's where we have to allow God to do his work inside of us. I think it's time for us to be like those National Guardsmen in those helicopters, being waved off, saying, you know what, this is, it's too much. It's too much. And for us to say, no, I will sacrifice everything to live out the salvation of Jesus Christ in the time that we have left. There is no too great of cost for someone to go from eternal death to eternal life. Just like those guardsmen ignoring the arguments and the agendas and going in and to save all those who have false hope or no hope. Because it's one thing to, to, to share that with people who have no hope, but there's a bunch of people who have false hope out there. We need to be in their lives, and we need to be sharing them in grace and truth so that they hear us. They can't dismiss us. You see, we're living in the age of salvation. This is our time. This is the believer's time. This is our time, the people of God who have been rescued, forgiven, made righteous, and restored. 
We are the church, the body of Christ, and the gates of hell cannot stand against us if we are actually behaving like Jesus. We of all people should be hopeful. We of all people should be geared up right now because we've been told where this is going. And we are the most blessed people. And we have to be reminded of that. We have to be reminded that we are one heart, one voice, living under one God. And that there will always be things for us to argue about. Some of those things are important. But in the age of salvation, what is most important? Salvation. Man's going to come back up and, and they're going to worship and we're going to worship together. Recognizing the reality that even in the midst of where we live, we are most blessed and we have the most hope. And we can anticipate not just what Jesus is going to do, but what he's doing now. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. 